Thank you again for watching our message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact our office at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us Sunday mornings at 1030 or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit us at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. I want to welcome everybody to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are uh, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. For those of you that might be new, um, we're, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And if you got your Bibles or devices and you want to follow along, uh, tonight we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And the title of our lesson is The Light of the World. Now, as I said last week, uh, when we got to chapter, thir- I'm sorry, verse 13, we kind of entered a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. We had been in the Beatitudes for several weeks, which, as you should know by now, is describing the character of a Christian. With verse 13, we turned away from that topic, which is talking about the character of a Christian, to talking about the purpose uh, of a Christian. Why are we here? What does God uh, intend for us? To do, and so the question before us last week that we looked at was was this: What should the Christian's relationship with the world look like? And as we said, there are some people that would advocate withdrawing completely from the world and having nothing to do with the world. Other people might say, "Oh no, we we need to we need to be just like the world and copy the world so that we can reach the world." So uh, the you know is is. Either one of those right or wrong is the answer somewhere in the middle. What should our relationship with the world be like? And that was kind of the subject we started looking at. Now, to answer this question, Jesus gives us two absolutely incredible metaphor. A metaphor, of course, is when someone says, you know, this is like this. And Jesus gives us two metaphors to describe this. The first one we looked at last week, which he says, you are the salt of the earth, and tonight we'll look at the second one, which is you are uh, the light of the world. Now, last week we looked at verse uh, 13, and this is the first metaphor. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And what we saw was back in Jesus' day, salt had two primary uses. Now, just like today, uh, salt is used for seasoning or enhancing the flavor of food, uh, people did that 2,000 years ago in the first century. They did exactly the same thing. But one of the uses of salt back then was as a preservative of food. Now, we don't use it as much for that anymore because we have grocery stores and refrigeration, and we don't have to deal with that type of, of thing as, as much as some other uh, civilizations or cultures uh, in the past had to do. But salt, it was a very big deal Uh, that salt was used to preserve food. Now, what we saw last week was that when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he presupposes a a very important truth about the world. And the truth is, what he's telling us is, you are the preservative of the world. In, In other words, if the world, like a vegetable or like fruit or like meat that's left out, if you don't do anything to preserve it, it's going to decay and it's going to rot. 
And so when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's presupposing the exact same truth or implying that. He's saying, if we leave the world alone, if I don't do anything to preserve the world, the world will just naturally decay and rot. It doesn't get better. It by, it, it by its very nature gets worse. Now, as we saw, it can get so bad sometimes that, G, that God has to step in and destroy things. For example, Genesis 6, Genesis 11, we saw where he, uh, he has to destroy the earth. He promised not to do that again, but he still has to step in from time to time, like with Sodom and Gomorrah and nations. They get so bad, they reach such depths of depravity that God literally has to come in and destroy cities and destroy natures, uh, uh, nations and destroy cultures. Now listen, what we need to understand is God doesn't want to do that, right? Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. God says this. This is a rhetorical question. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? The answer to that is no. God doesn't want to see people die. He doesn't want to have to destroy uh, people. In fact, he'd much rather turn from their ways and, and live, as he says. So here's God. He's got this problem. The natural state of the world is decay and rot. Somehow he needs to intervene and retard that decay, if you will, or slow it down in some way. Because if he doesn't, it'll end up being the destruction of people. Now, the question is, how does he do that? What, what is his plan for slowing down this rot and decay of the world? Well, his plan is us. It's you and me, right? There isn't anybody else. There isn't any other plan. There is, we are plan A and there is no plan B. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I want to point out two things. And I'm not going to go back and reteach or re-preach what I said last week. But there are a couple of things that I want to point out before we get to the second metaphor tonight. And the first is this. You and I cannot rely on anybody else to do it, all right? You and I cannot rely on anybody else to do it. Listen, we are very blessed in this church to have a a famous pastor and even a famous evangelist. And I know they're famous because their pictures are on the the Internet. And and that's that's great. We are are really blessed. And and let me say, Pastor Henry and and Pastor Bill and, and others on the staff... They are responsible for being light in their own sphere of influence. They're responsible for being light in their families and and light for those that they touch. But it's not their job to be the light for you. In fact, let me read this. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. This is their job. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which is the pastors, that's Pastor Henry, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Their job, the ones that have been given these gifts, their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, their job is to equip you to go out and be salt and be light. Not to do it for you, but to make you able to uh, do it. So we cannot rely on them. By the way, you cannot rely on people on the radio or people that are on TV, or people that are on YouTube, or people that write books. You see, there are people that are never going to read a book that explains the gospel to them. There are people, most likely that you know, that are never going to go on YouTube and listen to a a sermon about Jesus Christ. 
See, the fact is, there are people you can touch that others will never touch. See, Pastor Henry will never touch the people that you can touch. I'll never touch the people that you can touch. God has put you in a sphere of influence, in your family, in your, in your job, in your community, and there are people that you speak to and you touch that nobody else ever will. See, I've got somebody in my mind right now, in my sphere, of, and you understand what I mean by a sphere of influence, right? I've got somebody in my sphere or my circle of influence that as far as I know, if I don't reach them, nobody will. As far as I know. Now, there may be somebody else that will witness to them, but as far as I know, I'm the one. And my guess is, if you think about it, and most of you probably already know who it is. Most of you already have somebody in your mind, you know, that that's on me. I, that's on me to reach that person. See, if you don't do it, who will? If you don't do it, you can't sit back and say, well, maybe they'll... They'll run across a YouTube video, or maybe they're not listening to Christian music. They're not coming to church. They're not doing those things. The light is you. The salt is you. You've been put in their path for a reason by God. Now listen, that should not surprise us that God wants to work this way. He's not interested really in using famous evangelists and famous pastors and famous teachers and all these things. He just wants to use regular, ordinary people. That's what he's always done. I mean, go back and read the Bible. Goliath comes out. God could have used King Saul. God could have used the armies of Israel, but he didn't want to. He wanted to use a little shepherd boy and a couple of stones. When he came to this earth, he wasn't born into a castle. He wasn't born into royalty or or nobility. God chose a peasant girl and a stable. He didn't choose 12 affluent, elite, educated men to be his disciples. He chose farmers and shepherds and fishermen and tax collectors, just regular, normal People. That's always the way God wants to work in this world. You want to know why? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 explains it. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's a reason that God just wants to use, not the powerful, not the mighty, not He just wants to use regular, normal people to be salt and light. And the reason for that is because He gets the glory. He gets the glory. So He's got a plan. And this plan is for you and I, regular Christians, to be salt and light. He's put us in a certain place here in Wakula County or wherever it is you live, and He's putting certain people in your path for you to be salt and light too. And He's done it that way so that He can get the glory. That's the first thing. You can't rely on others. And I'm going to say this. Pastor Henry brought this up. I'm just going to, I'm going to hammer it some more. You cannot, cannot, cannot do it politically. Just can't do it. You cannot change the world in politics. You cannot change a human heart by legislating morality. You just cannot do it. 
I, I want you to think about it. I don't know of a time in American history where the church has been more involved politically in our country. For those of you that are as old as I am, you can go back to the 1980s with Jerry Falwell and the moral majority. Everybody remember all that? And, and, and he was, uh, everybody was talking about Christians getting involved in politics and we're going we're gonna to change America. That's 40 years. 40 years. And we've been laboring for 40 years involved in politics. What's the result? It speaks for itself. We live in a society, American culture, that's never been more immoral than it is today. Why? Because that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The way to do it is to be salt and to be light. It's to go out into your communities and go back to your families and go to your job and live a godly life. Be different. We'll talk about that here. See, the way, to, the way to change the world is to infiltrate it from the inside out. To go out into the world and, and, and be godly people. Be holy people. Be righteous people. And let God use that to change those around you from the inside out. Okay, that brings us to our second metaphor. Matthew five fourteen through 16. Let's read those verses. Jesus says, you are not only the salt of the earth. In verse 13, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, before I dive into those verses... I want to point out just two kind of overarching things. Once again, without saying it, Jesus presupposes a very important truth about the world. You see, he could have said, the world is a dark place. You are the light. But he didn't. He just said, you are the light of the world. Now, what does that imply? It implies that the world is a dark place. Now... We don't have to infer that. By the way, Scripture teaches that very clearly. For example, let's go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, 2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Luke one seventy nine, Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, walks in the temple and prophesies about the coming Messiah. And he says this about Jesus, that he has come to give light to those who sit in darkness. And of course, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, that's the truth, right? The world is a dark place. But I don't know of anything else that contrasts more with what the world thinks about itself. You see, if you go out and you would just talk to people in the world, the world is always talking about how enlightened, how in, have they've experienced this in, enlightenment, right? In fact, the, today they call it, we're being woke, right? This idea is that we've reached this place and we've changed so much and we're not like our, our ancestors. We're so much more open and so much more tolerant and so much better. Now, don't get me wrong. We have made some incredible, incredible 
advancements in certain areas. I mean, think about the advancements that we've made in science and, and, and medicine and technology. But here's the problem. We've discovered all these new things, but we failed to discover the most important thing of all, and that is what do we do with all of it? What do we do with all? We make these crazy, incredible uh, advancements in medicine, and we euthanize our disabled, and we kill our babies in the womb with that same technology. We've got this incredible technology to do all these things, and what do we do? We, We build bombs. We create viruses to kill people. You see what I'm saying, right? We, we created all these things, but we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to use it rightly. Romans 1.22, Paul says this, Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools. Why does he say that? Because the world lacks wisdom. Do you know what wisdom is, the definition of wisdom? Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Wisdom is is not about being smart. Wisdom is not about being educated. You can be smart and educated and be a fool. And there's a lot of that out there. Wisdom is having knowledge and then knowing how to use it in the right way. Now see, here's the thing. Wisdom is alien to the natural man. You don't just get wisdom just by, by living a life. In fact, the Bible tells us that wisdom is a divine gift that can only be granted by God. In fact, wisdom can only begin with knowing Him. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now think about that. You can be over here and you can have all this education and all this intellect and have all these smarts and all this stuff, and if you don't know God, If you don't acknowledge God, you haven't even started on the path to wisdom. In fact, you're a fool, which is the opposite. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be giving him. If you want to be wise, the first thing you do is you know and acknowledge God, and then you ask Him. You ask Him for wisdom, and He will give it. Now, I want you to consider, this leads us to the next thing. And I hadn't even gotten to the verse yet, but I'll get there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, by the way, because Pastor Henry preached it this past Sunday. Was anybody, was anybody here? He preached this verse, which is not a big deal. It's fine. I had plenty to talk about, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. But I've got some other things. I want you to consider the context for a minute. Go back to that day 2,000 years ago. Jesus is sitting on a on a hill, a small mountain. They called it a mountain, but it, obviously it wasn't like Mount Everest. It was, a, uh, you know, something a lot smaller. And he's sitting there and he's looking over this crowd, maybe a thousand, maybe two, three, four, we don't know. And in that crowd, there's a few important people. There's a few Pharisees and there's a few lawyers and there's a few scribes, things like that. But the, the majority of the crowd are just regular, simple, uneducated, unimportant people. Farmers, shoemakers, uh, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, housewives, just, just normal, regular people. Most of them couldn't read. Most of them couldn't, couldn't write. Just uneducated. And, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm sure, would have looked at that crowd and, and looked at them as being unimportant. And Jesus looks out and says, you are the light of the world. You, farmer. You, shoemaker. You, uh, you, you, you fishermen, 
you, Mr. Tax Collector, you, you, housewife, you're the light of the world. Now, let me tell you, that statement would have seemed absolutely ludicrous to the Pharisees. And here's why. In that day, that's what they called these very eminent rabbis. Have you ever seen pictures for of like the Hasidic Jews in New York City and one of their like really, they've got these rabbis. These guys live to be like 127. And, 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 and one of them dies. Have you ever seen the funeral? And they'll just, thousands upon thousands will pour out because they just revere these men. Because they've spent their whole life studying the Torah. They've spent their whole life studying the Word of God. And even in that day, these men were spoken of as lamps of the universe. Rabbi so-and-so is is the lamp of the universe or the light of the world. So can you imagine they're sitting there that day and Jesus looks out at all these unimportant, normal, regular people and He says, you are the light of the world, not them, not the rabbis, not, not all them people, you, fishermen, you, housewife, you are the light of the world. And by the way, He's not just applying the metaphor to his disciples. He's not just applying the metaphor to those people that were there on that day. He's applying the metaphor to us. Believers, just regular, normal people here in Wakula County at River of Life, you are the light of the world. Listen, I don't know if you get it, but that it's, this is one of those statements that should make us realize what an incredible thing it is to be a Christian. In fact, let me say this. An ordinary Christian knows more about life than the most educated intellectual person on this planet. The normal, ordinary Christian knows more about life than the smartest person you can go out there and find. Elon Musk, smart guy. Jeff Bezos, smart guys. You know more about real life than they do. Trust me. You got more wisdom than they do. Trust me. Now, let's ask the question. What does it mean for believers to be the light of the world? Well, let me say one more thing. And I just want to remind you this. We are light because God is light. Okay? John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus stands there and says, I'm the light. 1 John 1, 5, he says this, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. So Jesus says, I'm the light. John says, God is the light. And then Jesus looks at you and I and says, you are the light. Listen, you can't separate those three statements. They always have to be taken together. In John 14, 23, Jesus said this, and Pastor Henry preached on this several months ago, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Why am I light? Why am I light? Because Jesus and the Father, who are both light, have come and they dwell with me. They live in me, and I in them. I'm light. You're light. Why? Is it because we're somehow special? No, we're, we're light because the light dwells inside of us. And you can't separate those. Simply put, believers are light because they know God and God dwells in them. The world is dark because they reject the light. They reject the light. That's why it's they're dark. So let's come back to the question. 
What does it mean for believers to be the light of the world? I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you three very practical things that it means for us to be the light of the world. Number one, to be light means that we expose darkness. Ephesians 5.11, Paul says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now let me say this. If you think about light, and I was reading about light, and I'm not that smart. I was trying to figure out, you know, what is light and how does it work? And you start reading these articles, and it just right over my head. Um, you know, they talk about light being waves and all this kind of stuff. But here's something you can't deny, even the simplest person. One thing light always does it is it exposes what's in the darkness, right? That, that's, you can't, I, I don't know how it works. I don't know, you know, I don't understand electricity, but I know you flip that switch and the light comes on and everything that was in the dark is now in the light. That's what light does. Now, how do we do that? Sometimes we do that with the Word, by calling sin, sin. Ezekiel 3.18, I'm going to give you two scriptures, one old and one new. God says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning... Nor, you, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Now, notice what he says. This is all about speaking. This is all about warning. This idea that you, I'm just going to go through life and, and I'm just going to live a certain way and I'm not ever going to call sin, sin, that, that's not biblical. There are times that you and I need to call a spade a spade. There's times that we need to call sin for what it is. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There are times we need to admonish people. Not Sometimes we need to encourage people. Sometimes we need to rebuke people. There are times when we need to speak truth to evil, to speak truth, to sin. But there are other times that we do it just by living a godly life that is a contrast to the darkness. I said this last week. Do you understand that when you're honest, you you automatically provide a contrast to people that are dishonest? When, when When you're a sexually moral person and pure person, and you walk out in this world, you automatically shine a light on people that are sexually immoral. Just by, just by being that, just walking through the world, just being the light, you are automatically shining a light and exposing the dark things. People can get over here and they can pretend they're okay and they pretend, well, everybody's doing it. But then you walk into the room and they realize, no, everybody ain't doing it. She's not doing it. He's not doing it. So just just being that godly person, living that godly life, exposes darkness. Ephesians 5.13, Paul says this, When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Here he's not necessarily talking about speaking truth or, or, or speaking reproof or rebuke to someone. He's talking about just being light in a dark world. So you and I are called to be light. Listen, I'm not... I'll probably never go out and, 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 and I, this is me. This is you right here, right? I'm in Wakula County. I was born here. I'm going to die here. 
So the point is, and my point here is to you and I, is we are called to be light where God has put us. And we have to be willing to, for people. People are going to push back. When you walk out there and you're the light, people are going to push you back. They're going to call you a lot of things. Maybe, maybe they just might say, you're, surely, you're such a negative person. Well, if that's all they call you, be glad. Because <laughs> they can go way worse than that. They can call you a bigot. They can call you judgmental. But listen to me. If God is calling you and I to stand against wrong, and we have to be faithful to that calling. All right? Second thing that it means to be... I will give you three. That's the first one, to expose darkness. The second thing that it means to, to uh, be the light is we alone provide answers. Now, I want, you, I want you to listen to me. Do you know what? There's, the world has one problem. Society has one problem. Culture has one problem. A family has one problem. Every individual in that family has one problem, and that is they are estranged from God. That is the problem that is foundational to every other problem. They don't know God. They don't know how to, get, they don't know how to be made right. Guess who's got the answer? You see, there's one solution, that is God through Christ has made a way for that individual, that family, that nation, that person to be reconciled to God. That's the solution. That's the solution to every problem that's out there. That's the solution to injustice. It's the solution to racism. It's the solution to homosexuality. It's the solution to poverty. It's the solution, you name it. That's it right there. Men are estranged from God. What's the solution? They need to be reconciled to Him. And guess who has that message? You and me. That's it. See, that is the light. That is the message that only Christians can bring to a dark world. No other religion can bring it. Only us. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Several years ago, I might have told some of y'all about this. There was a guy... uh, by the name of John Moorhead. He was the head of the Department of Philosophy at uh, Northeastern University in Illinois, and he got an idea. And he wrote a letter to 250 uh, intellectuals around the world. So he found 250 of the smartest people he could find. These are doctors and lawyers and professors and uh, philosophers and inventors and scientists, 250 of them all over the world, not just in America. And he wrote every one of them a letter, and he asked them one question. And this is the question that he asked them. What is the meaning and purpose of life? Smartest people in the world. He asked them one simple question. What is the meaning and the purpose of life? And let me tell you, the vast majority of them said, I got no idea. Got no idea. Some of them even admitted they just made something up. They really didn't know. They just made something up. Some of them said, well, here's my answer, but I'm just guessing. Some of them even wrote back and said, if you know the answer, please tell me. Smartest people in the world, and they could not answer the question of why am I here? The most, one of the most important questions you'll ever face in your life, what's my purpose? Why am I here? And they could not answer it. They had, no, they had no clue. Bertram Russell, was a very famous atheist, said this, unless you assume the existence of God, 
then the purpose and meaning of life is irrelevant. He is exactly right. You step away from God and you try to figure out what the purpose and meaning of life is and you'll sit there and you'll never find the answer because there is none. We are created for Him, through Him, to Him. That's what we're here for. Do you understand what it means that you're a Christian? Do you understand what it means if you know that one thing? Just that one thing puts you so far above the foolish men and women of this world, it's not even funny. What an incredible thing to be called. What what an incredible thing to know that. 1 Corinthians 3, listen to this. Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. He's talking about the wise of this world, people that think they're wise and they're, they're going nowhere. It's absolutely futile. It's like chasing, uh, you know, a dog chasing its tail. Jesus says the world is in darkness and you are the light. You are the light. I mentioned earlier... This is why an ordinary Christian knows more about life than the most educated, intellectual, affluent unbeliever that there is. You have the answers. I, 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 I wanted to do something. I want you to picture for a moment that that is a room. That's a room, and it's dark. There's no light in that room. Now, there's things in that room. There's tables. There's glasses. There's dinnerware laid out. There's, there's roses on the table. There's a couch to sit on. There's all kind of stuff in that room. And I want you to imagine people that are born into darkness. They, they, they live in that room and they, they, they find things. They find like a table, but they don't know what it is. They, they come over and they feel flowers and they, they feel them, but they don't know what it's for. And so they end up using them for purposes they were never meant for because they don't know what even know what it is they've got all this knowledge but they really have no knowledge at all they have no wisdom and then somebody walks in one day and turns on the light oh those are roses oh that's a table I mean, this is literally what we do as Christians we walk into the darkness and we show them what life is really about We show them what that knowledge should really be used for, which is the glory of God. We we show them that the world is full of beauty and creativity and all these other wonderful things that are gifts of God. When you you got a world out there that's inventing technology, and what do they do with it? They spread pornography to our children with it. I mean, and we're sitting over here saying, no, no, use it for this. This is the light. Here's the third thing, or the third reason, or third way we are uh, light to the world. Number one, uh, as I said earlier, we expose darkness. The third way is this, we live differently. Now, Pastor Henry talked about this Sunday, so I won't beat it to death again. But let me read the scripture one more time, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. Folks, that is our purpose right there. We are the light. Don't hide it. 
Don't, you're not, God didn't make you light so you could go to your house and hide. He made you a, 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 a light so that you could go out and give light to others. That's your purpose. That's why you're a Christian. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is good works? A lot of times we think about good works. We think about working at the homeless shelter or we think about, you know, working at the, you know, going to the, giving out food at the food bank or we think about all these good, and by the way, those are all really good things. But let me tell you, good works is everything. Good works is about the way you talk. If you get a chance, go read Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is, is an incredible chapter talking about light and darkness. And, and one of the things that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 is, is, is your language. The way you talk should be different than the way the world talks. The way you give, as Pastor Henry said Sunday, should be different. The way you tip should be different from the way the world tips. You should be a giver. You should be generous. The way we love, the way we suffer. Listen, everybody's going to suffer. They're suffering without any reason or purpose whatsoever. I'm suffering for Him. There's something going on. Even in my suffering and my pain, God is working something in me. We suffer differently. Our marriages should be different. Our relationships should be different. The way we parent should be different. The way we conduct business should be different. It just goes on and on down the line. Everything that we do, we should be light. We should be different. We live differently from the way the world lives, so much so that they see it with their eyes. They can see it. It's, it's, it's obvious that you're not like them. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, last scripture. Paul says, For at one time you were darkness. At one time you were just like them. You thought you were smart. You thought you had it all going on. You thought you didn't need none of that God stuff. But you were just in darkness. But now, but now you are light in the world. Listen to these five words. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, in all that is right, in all that is true. I love that. If you're doing good works, you're producing good things and right things and true things. And let me tell you, you don't have to worry about people noticing because that is a hundred... Listen, does anybody in the world, if I walk into a dark room with a flashlight, everybody there is going to notice it. Nobody's going to say, well, I didn't see any light. Because light dispels the darkness. It, it, it just, it, it, you know, you're, you've all been there. You don't have to worry about people noticing. Live a godly life. Produce things in your life that are good and right and true. And you, you watch what happens. You won't have any trouble with people noticing. Listen, this is our purpose. You are salt and you are light. The question is, are we fulfilling that purpose? Are we fulfilling that purpose? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible sermon that Jesus preached, uh, I mean, literally centuries ago. But even today, it speaks truth to every single one of us. God, I thank you that I'm a Christian. I thank you that you called me out of darkness. I thank you that I, because you dwell in me and because you've opened my eyes and you've opened my heart and you've opened my mind, I see things that the smartest people in the world have no clue of. 
But that's not just true of me. That's true of every uh, Christian in this room. Every just ordinary Christian in this room have been given such a great blessing to be called the light of the world. God, give us courage. Give us boldness to walk this out in the places that you've put us, in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, at our work. God, help us to be the light. If there's anybody here, God, that's been putting that light under a bushel, hiding that light, God, I just pray that somehow, some way, you take this message, you take these words, you take these scriptures, and you give them boldness and courage to walk out their purpose that you've called them to. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.